Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and today we've got more standout performances and crazy upsets in week eight of college football to break down. But first, we're going to start things off with Scout Stories, where I catch up with Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, to talk about the interior offensive line, namely the guard position. What traits matter most and what are some of the differentiating factors between good and great players at the position? We'll talk about how what makes a difference maker inside with Brandon Brown at the top of the show. After that, we're going to transition to Saturday Scouting, where we get our weekly takeaways from Dane Brugler from The Athletic, Ben Fennell as well. We're going to talk through the biggest winners from the week in college football, who helped their stock the most as we get ready for next year's NFL Draft. Then we'll transition to On the Clock, where Chris McPherson returns to the show to once again help us debate who is the scariest defender in this upcoming NFL Draft. We will hit on that uh, at the end of the show, and we'll wrap it up all together with our draft mailbag, where we look at a fan mock draft to wrap things up here on the show. And as always, make sure you go check out our Apple Podcast page. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. If you've got a question, we will answer it. If you've got a mock draft, we will break it down. If you've got rankings, we will rip them apart. Make sure you go on. That's the best way to throw us your support. If you love this show, you want to throw us your support in any way, that is the best way. We appreciate everybody that gives us shout-outs on social media and on Twitter. Really, really appreciate everybody that does that. But the number one way to show us your support helps make the show more available to others that are looking for NFL Draft Podcasts. Jump on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, leave us a review. Appreciate everybody that has done that lately. That said, let's get rolling here. I'm excited to catch up with Brandon Brown once again for our Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. Well, excited for this week's edition of Scout Stories, where I welcome in Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Brandon Brown, to talk about the offensive guard spot. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Fran, thanks for having me on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk about the offensive guard spot. And when you look at it, obviously, it's not a position that gets a lot of fanfare. But what is it that makes it a tough position to be able to evaluate? Because I do feel like it's changed a little. I remember like the, the early 2010s, the early 2000s, oh, offensive line, it's really safe. You can draft a guy high and you know it's going to be plug and play. I don't know that it's quite to that extent anymore, but what is it that makes it so hard to be able to evaluate and project offensive linemen? Yeah, friend. I think that the hardest thing, though, is uh, you have to be finding the perfect marriage between what the traits a player can do and, uh, and the scheme fit. Um, Guards, in terms of uh, ability to execute the task at hand, they come in different shapes and sizes. Um, and different guards are going to be successful in different schemes. And you see it every year in the league, those guys that are going to be more successful in, in a power scheme, you know, coming off the ball, creating an inline movement, being kind of uh, the phone booth type maulers. And then they're going to be guys that are in that lateral zone scheme where, hey, they're, they're lighter, but they can, uh, you know, pull to the second level. They can get out in space. They can cut off. They can occupy. They can mirror. Um, so like I said, there, the, the degree of efficiency um, has to be a perfect marriage between the player's trait, what the scheme calls for, and just um, their ability. So I think, you know, different shapes and sizes can be effective and good players um, just based on what the task is asked. I think this is a, a really important question for this position specifically, because a lot of people will say, oh, well, you know, guard is not a super valuable position, you know, wait till later, you can find starters, which, which is true. But when you've got like those great players, those guys that can be the blue chip prospects, what is it that separates like the, the good, reliable starter from a guy who could be something more? Yeah. So when I, when I think about that, uh, friend, you know, I gonna, you want to balance and really have a, a good blend between the, the critical factors and you call it the, the position specifics, right? Mm-hmm. So I look at, Hey, when I look at anchor, um, intelligence, foot quicks, uh, versatility at the position, um, power at the line of scrimmage, ability to redirect, recover, ability to, to climb to a second level. Can you sustain in the pocket? And uh, you know your punch timing and pass pro. And I take I take that and I couple it, couple it with uh, something you know I'd like to call like the four B's: bend, balance, base, and burst. Mm-hmm. Right. And I kind of look at that at the foundation of when when you're grading guys' proficiency in each category. Uh, I think the guys that are really consistent in demonstrating all of these based on what the task is being called for the scheme, they become the guys that separate themselves from the average to the good. You know, if you're, if you're looking 
more so for your scheme, hey, the guy, we're going to run a lot of screens or if we're going to be a team that uh, we need our guards to pull to a second level, are you athletic enough to take consistent uh, departure angles um, out to the second level in the screen game? Can you occupy and um, have good hand placement on the pads where you can really uh, sustain enough to, to, to spring it back for a run? Um, then, you know, the really good guys, they can do it all. You know, they they can create inline movement. Uh, they can climb to a second level with good speed. They're athletic enough. They have the balance uh, to adjust to a linebacker at the second level and then occupy them and spring it back. But I think a lot of these, you know, we all love the explosive, juicy runs, but you know, the, the, this guard position, it's it's an unsung hero. You know, they they are the catalyst for um, a lot of the springboards. And then once, you know, the running back gets into that third level, that's on them. But I think uh, when you have good, you know, good guard play, to very good to excellent guard play uh, makes it a whole lot easier on the back and uh, uh, he doesn't have to create as much and then you see a lot of those explosives starting to pop. Yeah, so it's really for the people on the outside, it's like, all right, how many boxes does this guy check? The more boxes you can check, the more tools you've got in your toolbox, especially in today's game, as it continues to evolve with what these guys are seeing inside, because it's not just the 320-pound slugs. I mean, you're getting 255-pound uh, defensive ends that kick inside on third down. You've got to have answers for all of that. Yeah, and then on the, on the backside, Fran, you have to un understand, you know, uh, defensive coordinators are getting increasingly creative, and they try, just like you alluded to, they try to create those those rush matchups, yeah. right? If if they know that there's an athletic, can't you can't hide the guard where um, if a defensive coordinator knows, hey, this this guard, you know, is stiff in his ankles, he can't recover laterally. Well, you can run a you know a stunt twist or loop, you know, run those um, those games at him or those exotic pressures on him where he's put on an island. And then he's really isolated. And then if he can't recover or he can't hold up in pass pro, um, you know, that that's that's creating easy inside pressure in, in a straight line to the quarterback. Um, so I just think, you know, guys that can hold up there and also uh, produce in the run game, you know, that's when you start to see the line shift of, okay, this guy's better than average. This guy's good. This guy's very good. This guy's hey, a cornerstone in our offense. Uh, it just, you know, may not get the praise that some of the more glorified positions do get. Has there been a, a piece of advice you've gotten about evaluating guards that, that has stuck with you throughout your career? Yeah, yeah. I just think, uh, look how they finish. Mm. Um, I think that's, that's a big, big thing. You know, you look, and not just finish uh, play to play, but over the course of the game. You know, you look at um, guys that may finish a run and they're 20 yards downfield and they're, and they're looking to clean up a linebacker or a safety, um, or it's a, you know, maybe a run within the box. And, you know, they're coming off a double team and, you know, they're driving a, a D tackle maybe, you know, a couple of yards down the field at the end of the play. I just think uh, that that nasty demeanor, that finish, you know, even when they're in the short, short yardage goal line situations in the trenches and uh, they're blowing guys off the ball. Um, you can guys that you can feel power in their hands and you can mm -hmm. see it, you know, post play. If you see a D tackle, hey, fixing his pads or or, or fixing his chin strap, you know, you could, those, those those little tells you can right. feel like. Hey, this guy has some power in his hands and he has ability, you know, to create a uh, knockback at the line of scrimmage or he has some type of violence that's that's different. Um, and also you can see if he's a guy that's consistently springing runs, uh, you'll see the offense start to feed off of it. Mm. You know, if it, this is a guy that that the offense continuously, if, they, if it's a guy to have it short yardage play and they're consistently running behind him, um, you kind of kind of start to see the, the, the picture being painted on who this guy is. And, you know, you get you start to get excited. Well, not even just guards, but there are guys like at every position where you kind of like feel that. Is it is it fun to be able to find those guys where you kind of feel that just by watching the film? Yeah, I think uh, the, the guys that you become uh, almost obsessed with is as you're watching the tape, you know, you, you keep hitting rewind or you, you're grabbing <laughs> your buddy to say, hey, come come watch this. Or um, you're, you're evaluating him and you just there's not enough lines on the paper to describe how much you love this guy. Mm. And, and those are the ones you really get excited about. And you know that, hey. Um, at the end of the day, like, okay, he makes us better and, or he's a culture changer or mm -hmm. he's just a difference maker is, or he's a, he has traits that like, man, you may have not have seen it in the past three, four, five years where, um, you know, these are guys you can't wait to tell other people about within the organization. Yeah. That's uh, and like you said, you could feel that on the film, Brandon, uh, this has been awesome. Thanks for shedding some insight here uh, on the offensive guard spot. We'll talk to you again soon, right here on the journey of the draft podcast. Uh -huh, thanks friend. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great stuff there from Brandon Brown and just some interesting takeaways. I love what he he talked about the critical factors, the things that he prioritizes most. And I wrote down uh, the four B's at the position, bend, 
balance, bass, and burst. If you're able to check more of those boxes, that's where you get the difference makers. He talked about the cornerstones of your offense. So you talk about players like a Quentin Nelson, a Zach Martin, Brandon Brooks. Brandon Brooks is healthy, one of the best guards in the NFL. Brandon Scherf uh, over with the Washington football team. Some of the best to do it. And I think that that's ultimately what I came to I, a couple years ago, just kind of looking around. What makes the best guards in the NFL? So, well, it's a lot of these guys that check a lot of these boxes that say, like, they can win in lots of different ways. That makes them scheme diverse. That makes them position diverse. I think that that's what you're talking about when you talk about those four Bs. I thought that was really good stuff there from Brandon. Uh, and also just the, the note that you can't hide guards anymore in pass protection. It used to be that, oh, uh, well, a guy can't hold up and, and pass for a tackle. Well, he can make it a guard. To an extent, that's the case, but you better believe that offensive or defense coordinators find ways to get those matchups. So you've got to be able to pass protect as an offensive guard. And also, I love what he talked about in terms of just making sure you watch how they finish over the course of the game, how you feel it when you're watching film. That's always a great anecdote from scouts, is that, you know, the guys that just kind of jump off the film from that standpoint. And I know that that's a way that a lot of uh, Eagles personnel felt about Landon Dickerson when they studied him at Alabama last year, was just how that finished how that passion for the game just jumped off the film in a lot of different ways. And sometimes uh, it's the way he finishes a guy into the dirt. Sometimes it's the way that he runs downfield after a big play to celebrate with a teammate or uh, celebrate a big block or a big run play. So you definitely saw that from Landon Dickerson. Speaking of which, uh, he had a really good game, I thought, in the run game this past week against the Las Vegas Raiders. I talk about that over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast with Greg Cosell this week. Uh, That said, let's transition now to this week in college football. Excited to talk through with Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell, it's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, guys, let's shift our attention now to this past week in college football, week eight. Once again, uh, full of excitement, full of some crazy upsets. Guys, uh, let's start with our game ball. Uh, and Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell joining the show. Ben, I, I want to come to you because your game ball uh, comes from the craziest game of the weekend, the longest game in college football history, nine overtimes, Penn State and Illinois. Give us your game ball from that one in the Big Ten. Yeah, fun game and probably the best upset of the weekend with Illinois knocking off Penn State. But got to give some att- attention to Chase Brown running. Back on 32 carries for 223 and a touchdown with eight runs at 10 plus career high in carries yards. Don't forget he was a Western Michigan transfer way back when. But I'm actually using this opportunity to give some attention to some other guys on this offense because despite Brett Bielma's comments this past week, kind of throwing the O line and this roster under the bus, in my opinion, there's some guys playing their butts off. Luke Ford and Daniel Barker are two of the better run blocking tight ends that I've seen. And these two offensive linemen, Vidarian Lowe, five-year starter at left tackle, and Alex Palaszewski, five-year starter at guard and tackle, mostly at right tackle, each of those guys have played 3,000 snaps in their career. They came in in 2017 with Kendrick Green and some other guys. They've been with this program for five years. Don't come out and say there's nobody on the two deep on the offensive line playing good ball or doing anything for us. These two guys have been mainstays for four and five years, pouring their heart and soul and blood and sweat out for a crappy program for year after year after year and see them finally on Saturday get a big win like this over a big time program in the Big Ten good for them I hope they land on some NFL rosters and get some attention as draft prospects because they're experienced and they're solid players but I I gotta I I gotta stick up for Bielema a little bit because he he was referring to the guys brought in the last three years when he said that oh he got okay all right yeah, yeah, he because he was saying he's basically speaking about next year how they're going to be in trouble after all these guys graduate. I'm gonna throw Doug Kramer in there as well at center. Yeah, uh, yep. I, I think he's got a chance at a pro future. Um, I mean, he was talking about the guys that came in the last three years, really not do, not doing anything for him on, gotcha. on the two deep. I thought so. I heard it as a like a blanket two deep statement. I oh, didn't know there was kind yeah. of a year threshold on there, but kind of I took a little bit of offense to that, and I'm sure you know some people in Illinois circles did as well, and. You know, that's kind of the shock statements you have to you have to throw out there when you're a coach looking to change things. Can we uh, talk well, about Chase Brown? What's that? Uh, something worked. I mean, they, yeah, right. I mean, they played. So, yeah, I mean, Chase Brown, I, there's, I don't know, watching him just run so low to the ground, bouncing off tackles. I, I mean, Penn State's not a bad defense. Like, no. they've got... They've got dudes on that side of the ball. They missing Mustafer inside a defensive tackle, but they shut down uh, those boys in Auburn, you know, tank, big yeah. and all them, you know, with no problem. 
Yeah, give. I mean, you watch Illinois, and they're they're lining up. Uh, you know, you you could fit all eleven uh, offensive players from the end zone view on the tape. Uh, a lot of a lot of smash uh, with what they're doing in the run game. But yeah, give Chase Brown credit. He he was bouncing off tackles. Looked like I don't know shades of uh, Doug Martin uh, with the way he was running out there. It's just a it's a fun game if you're an Illinois fan. I'll tell you what, like Chase Brown looked like. I texted somebody during the game and said, he looks like Doug Martin. Uh, just the way that he was bouncing off contact. Uh, he was picking up chunk yardage. He had another touchdown that came off the board due to a penalty uh, late in this game. He was extremely productive on the ground. I mean, that whole Illinois run game was outstanding. But uh, Chase Brown, like, really kind of, like, like made me perk my ears up and go, like, oh, like, I, I got to put more work into this guy. Uh, I was really, really impressed with him. If, if Ben, if he wasn't your game ball, uh, he was uh, Honestly, Brent, the only reason he was on my radar – was Phil Steele had him as the second team preseason back in the Big Ten. Right call. And it just like my eyes just like jarred when I saw it. I saw an Illinois player with us, the second team. Like, who is this kid? So I put him in my notes, did some background info. Haven't studied his tape, but I at least had the uh, the info in there. I, I was I was really impressed live. It, it wasn't me that you texted Doug Martin, or we just come up with that same comp. Did you did so. you come up with that comp too? Yeah, no, no, I, that's what I just said. He just I, said he, he just said. Oh, did you really? Yeah. I, I didn't even, yeah. I didn't even uh, that didn't even register. No, he no. There's this great podcast, Journey to the Draft. You should listen to it sometime. It's every it's, once in a while. I'll listen yeah, to a it. bunch of hacks. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. He was he was really impressed. We'll talk through some some other members uh, of that Illinois backfield as well. Obviously, they had some injuries at quarterback late in the game, um, but big win for for the Illini uh, and that entire program. Dane, uh, who gets your game ball this week? Uh, let's stick in the Big Ten. I'm going to go with uh, Leo Chanel, uh, Wisconsin linebacker who filled up the stat sheet and it really the last two weeks has been phenomenal. It was dominant against army uh, last week. And then this week against Purdue, you know, Purdue's riding high that went uh, against Iowa. Uh, Wisconsin just shut them down on defense. Uh, Chanel finished with five and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. He, he's more of a blitzer than a true pass rusher. Uh, but you just love the way Wisconsin gets really aggressive uh, with how they attack downhill. Uh, not only does he have that closing speed that you love, uh, but he's very good in the open field. And I love his contact balance. So he can squeeze through gaps at the line of scrimmage, really affect the backfield action. Uh, Purdue's protection was just in a tizzy trying to find an answer for him. So uh, big game for Chanel, who's uh, just a really fun linebacker to study. Yeah, I have not uh, gotten a chance to, to get to Chanel yet, but uh, certainly a guy that's popping off on the stat sheet. Guys, I'm going to go to a game that was not on over the weekend. This actually goes back to last Thursday night, but I wanted to make sure we talked about it. That's Appalachian State getting the upset win over Coastal Carolina last Thursday. How about Chase Bryce, uh, quarterback from App State, who uh, you know we la last popped on the radar, or first popped on the radar, I should say, a couple of years ago when he came on uh, in place of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, I believe it was the Syracuse game. Was that right? When he, when Lawrence left midway through, Chase Bryce came in. It looked a little dicey there, and he was able to lead them uh, to victory over over the uh, the Orange. Um, Chase Bryce transfers to Duke. Struggles there last year. I think they went like 2-9 and nine or something like that last year in the ACC. So then he transfers again, ends up at App State. Throws for almost 350 yards, two touchdowns. Some of those touchdown throws were outstanding. Downfield, great placement, great touch. Uh, three or back up at Clemson before transferring. How uh, about the, the, the Chase Bryce? Getting a little love here. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys watched that game last Thursday night, but it was a, a really fun one between those two teams. It was, and it's. I'm glad you're shouting them out because I know there were some scouts at last year, before last season, that were excited about him. You know, this this you know uh, quarterback who flashed a little at Clemson. He's going to go with David Cutcliffe at Duke, you know, the quarterback whisperer, and he's going to be a player. And it just didn't just didn't happen. But he transfers to App State this year, and he's had a few games that have really uh, you know caught the attention of evaluators. So a uh, big win for that program and for for Brace himself uh, himself as a, as a prospect. So let's go to our one play takeaways. And obviously the, the game of the week was that Illinois nine overtime win as, as Ben kind of highlighted there, the play that it was happening right around the same time. So I, as that game's happening, I'm watching Illinois Penn state, uh, but Oklahoma, Kansas, Oklahoma on upset alert, Kansas jumps out to that early lead. Everybody's down on Caleb Williams at halftime. They come back, they score like 30 points in the second half. But what happens late in this game, it's fourth and one. Oklahoma's kind of nursing a, a, a lead with three and a half minutes to go. And they call a little zone read. He hands the ball off. The, the ball carrier gets stopped behind the line of scrimmage. He's getting driven backward. And Williams goes over and strips the ball from the running back and then takes it and runs forward for a first down. 
Twitter's on fire. I'm watching. I'm like, yeah, this guy's a true freshman, but we're, we can't like not talk about how awesome uh, this play was. Just a uh, just a football play, right? I mean, that's one of those things that like I, even like a couple of years from now, but when this kid enters the draft, I think a lot of people will be pointing. Uh, yeah, remember that play that he made against Kansas on that random Saturday in the middle of uh, the 2021 season? Just a really really fun play there from Caleb Williams. I feel like we needed to shout out, even though he's an underclassman. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, how do you not? <laughs> It started slow for him, but, uh, you know, how he finished, I mean, that's really the the takeaway. Yep. Now, it's going to be interesting for Oklahoma. They've got, what, Baylor coming up. Uh, you know, they've got Oklahoma State coming up. Yep. Some of the tougher teams in the Big 12, can they get through that uh, without a win or without a loss? I, it, it's going to be tough for a true freshman, but if anyone could do it, it's this kid. No question. Uh, ben, who, who do you like here? What was your uh, one-play takeaway from the weekend? Well, I want to find a way to highlight Kenny Pickett and the nice win they had over the weekend against Clemson, really good performance. We highlighted in our preview that this was going to be a statement game from him after throwing the uh, four interception game the year before, really good performance. In particular, that 23-yard touchdown at Jordan Addison, I thought really encapsulated a lot of things that he can do. It's kind of a sprint right play. Addison came across the formation on a big crossing route, and it was really just a throw to space for Kenny Pickett throwing him open. But Addison's ability to kind of come back to the ball ever so slightly and kind of cut off Nolan Turner from making a play on the ball. It was just those types of plays you weren't seeing from the receiving options from Pickett in years past. Tons of drops, tons of receivers not challenging the catch point or being competitive at the catch point. And Jordan Addison, it starts and ends with him because he struggled with drops in years past. He's really cleaned it up. He's leading FBS in touchdowns right now. In combination with Kenny Pickett's obviously meteoric rise and great season, Jordan Addison's really become a nice player and a prospect. Yeah, it was a, yeah. uh, a really nice play. He's only, what, I think a true sophomore. So yeah. not a guy, you know, for this draft, but for future classes. Uh, and he he went out in this game with a concussion. And so there were other players that had to step up. So, yeah, that the, the pit supporting cast uh, around Pickett, definitely a story. Uh, and, you know, something when I was talking to Mark Whipple for my story on Pickett, he mentioned specifically how good uh, Kenny Pickett is when he moves to his right, he is, uh, it went, you know, moving to his left a little tougher, but when moving to his right, uh, he is very accurate on the move, uh, the touch. And it was perfect on that play because the placement was just perfect. Just out of the reach for the defender, right in the hands uh, of Addison. So yeah, that was a big time play. So for my one play takeaway, uh, I'm going with uh, my guy, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, actually he's, he's everybody's guy. Uh, but he basically took over that game at UCLA. Uh, PFF credited him with 10 pressures. Uh, he had three sacks. Uh, the the pass rush is why he's the clear favorite to be the number one overall pick. We know yep. that. But another takeaway from this game, I thought, was the budding run instincts that he he's starting to show. There was a zone read play in the second quarter where Thibodeau, he was the unblocked defender, and he flattens towards the running back. Dorian Thompson-Robinson at quarterback makes the correct read, pulls the ball out of the back's belly, and you know looks to keep it and scramble. Thibodeau it was so quick to react and change direction. Uh, it just it was so impressive to see him pounce on the quarterback in just a split second before he could escape the pocket. Uh, now, Thibodeau is more than just that quick first step uh, type of guy who's going to win with uh, quickness and a little bit of power. He, he's much more than that. I've got a film room article uh, coming on, uh, on the athletic this week that if you want to see that play, I'll have that included on there. But uh, I, I think Thibodeau is really, you know, playing a full game. You know, he is rounding out uh, coverage. There, there were a few missteps. Uh, I, I think they dropped him in coverage a little too much anyways, but, but as a run defender, as a pass rusher, I, I think it's really all coming together for him. I'm going to be honest. I, when I studied him last year, I thought he was dominant against the run. That was only like, what was a four game sample, five game sample from last fall. Uh, so I'm, 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 excited to see him continue that uh here this season and this was really the first game since week one where we got to see a healthy Kayvon Thibodeau which is uh terrifying for opposing offenses in the Pac-12 uh let's get to our down the road freak shows here Ben I'll, I'll let you kick things off here for this one who's a freshman or a sophomore that we need to file away for the future well uh Miami Hurricanes got a nice win over the weekend against NC State uh I think they just edged them out 31-30 and their quarterback Tyler Van Dyke who's a redshirt freshman I thought played really well Big kid, 6'4", 225, and a nice day passing, 25 of 33, over 300 yards, four touchdowns. No relation to Demarcus Van Dyke, the uh, 
Miami Hurricane cornerback from like 10, 15 years ago. I think he ran like a 429 or something impressive. Yep. But uh, I also want to give some attention to Charleston Rambo, the Oklahoma transfer at the Miami Hurricanes. Guys, this guy, this guy can play. And he can play inside, he can play outside. He's got speed to beat cornerbacks and climb vertically on them. He's competitive at the catch point, like he showed on one of his touchdown grabs, um, where he pretty much just threw up a one-on-one opportunity. The corner got lost. He found the ball. Really good player. And there's a bunch of Oklahoma receiver transfers that have dispersed across college football. That's what Lincoln Riley does best out there in Oklahoma, finds receiver prospects. There just isn't room for them all. Jalen Robinson's at UCF having a good year. Theo Howard went from Oklahoma to UCLA. He's at Utah now. But Charleston Rambo with the Miami Hurricanes having a really nice year on the other end of Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback. Yeah, it's, uh, I know you've you've talked about it a couple times. Uh, and Charleston Rambo, I've watched him since, since he was with Oklahoma. He's He's got some dynamic qualities to him. Uh, he's a really fun player. Dane, uh, who is your down-the-road guy for this week? Uh, so I, I feel like this is the Ohio State category because uh, it feels like a, you know every week we're talking about one of these impact freshmen. Um, and I have to go back to the Buckeyes because C.J. Stroud, uh, the quarterback, is playing at an extremely high level right now. Uh, he had the best throw I saw all weekend. Uh, just a beautiful throw into triple coverage. Really showcased his arm confidence, his accuracy. Uh, obviously, he benefits from an experienced offensive line, arguably the best skill weapons in the sport. Uh, but he's really settling in as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Over the last three games, Stroud's completing 74% of his passes, over 1,000 passing yards, 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he's making a strong case to compete with Bryce Young for that QB1 status in the 2023 NFL draft. Mm, I like it. Oh, and, uh, one guy that we've talked about kind of being in that discussion as well, DJ Uyangalele from Clemson, uh, gets benched uh, this past week at Pitt, so we'll keep an eye on that situation as well. You say QB1, uh, I thought we had another season on Netflix. Uh, it was only a matter of time before he brought it up. <laughs> it's been like a month, so I was surprised it took this long. Um, for me, I'm going to go back to that Illinois game, and uh, to me, uh, Joshua, Joshua McCray, from uh, from Illinois, true freshman running back, 6'1", 240, bowling ball, uh, number zero. Looks even more like a bowling ball. He's wearing that number zero uh, on, his, on his back jersey. 24 carries, 142 yards. So, again, just kind of adding some context to this Illinois rushing attack. We talked about how uh, Chase Brown, the Illinois running back, the junior, he was like, you know the best player on the field. Well, you still had McCray rushing for over 140 yards as well. And, um, you know, I, I think obviously, look, Brown's the better player right now. But McCray, just a name to kind of file away, more physical downhill back, uh, just a guy to keep an eye on. He was a grinder for Illinois when they needed him to be in this game. Uh, let's now get to our film room recap, guys. We'll round things out. Uh, just a, a player or two that we've watched over the last week that kind of caught our eye. Ben, uh, I know you spent some time studying this Notre Dame defense late last week. Just to get your thoughts on a couple of these guys. Yeah, so I really wanted to watch Isaiah Foskey, who is up to eight sacks this year, having a really nice year uh, as first-time starter. Last year, he was just a role player and a special teamer. He was a core special teamer at 6'5", 260, really athletic player. So I just put on his 21, 21 tape, expected him just to be off the edge. Guys, this kid lines up everywhere. He's kind of an oversized Osu Koromoa in how he's used on the defense. One snap, he's at will. Then he's at Sam, detached. Then he's at defensive end. They'll blitz him from depth and some third down packages. Really athletic kid, tons of stunts and twists, loves to use his hands, loves the outside chop to kind of soften the edge on tackles. Little stiff hip. I don't think he's going to ever be a speed rusher or somebody to threaten uh, pockets vertically, but he can lean on you. He can really bend and kind of surge the corner with his strength. And then as I'm watching this kid, I'm seeing this other player with all sorts of juice, Myron Tagliavoa Amosa kind of a hyphen last name. I believe he's Tua's cousin, if I'm not mistaken. He's at defensive end as well. He's at 260 pounds. He dropped about 25 pounds this offseason to change positions and play outside. Guys, he's built like a refrigerator. There's nothing angular about him, but he is all sorts of wound up. Great first step, variety of pass rush moves. He does the jump chops, spins, his little dip and rip moves. He's a stout run defender. Reminds me a little bit of like AJ Epinesa at Iowa where he didn't really look good, but he had all sorts of juice and pass rush ability. He'll slide in at three-tech and some sub-packages. So really quick, just wanted to highlight Isaiah Foskey, more of a traditional defensive end. I think he contributed on special teams. And this Myron Tagliavoa Amosa is a really interesting kid. He's wearing 95. He's all sorts of wound up, kind of a dancing panda out there, but uh, two really fun defenders in the, in the front seven. 
Like both, both of them were dominant against USC on yeah. Saturday. Uh, I watched that tape this morning, actually. And uh, I mean, Foskey had a strip sack. Uh, he, he was consistently destructive. Uh, Tagovailoa Mosa was they, they at one point they had to, you know, uh, hold him and use a face mask. And he's still able to get through. So, yeah, two really good players who. Uh, I, I think have helped themselves in a big way this season. And don't forget, guys, that was a very veteran defensive line over the past couple of years with yep. Dalen Hayes and that whole group. So these guys have been waiting their turn. Some of them had to change positions, like I just mentioned, but they're finally getting their numbers called, their starters, and we're really seeing their impact. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a interesting group because of the amount of turnover that they've had at, at really all three levels uh, of the defense. So I'm glad you spotlighted a couple of those guys. Uh, Dane, uh, t- take us to yours. Who was your, your film room recap for this week? Uh, so I did South Alabama receiver Jalen Colbert, uh, and I, he's been as as advertised uh, from a production standpoint. He ranks fourth in the country in receiving yards per game, uh, and the tape matches. He's got outstanding tracking and adjustment skills. He finished catches through through contact. I really like his footwork uh, when it comes to route construction. Uh, now, he doesn't have that elite speed. He's probably going to be somewhere in the four fives. But he's very skilled at controlling his route speed and, and the pace to create those little pockets of separation. I saw some Michael Gallup there uh, with just the way he plays. And so I think he could be a productive NFL starter. I think he's clearly the third best senior receiver uh, in this class behind Olave and, and Jahan Dotson. But, you know, it gets a little tougher when you try to stack him with these underclassmen receivers. You know, where is he? Where is he stacked with, uh, you know, the Alabama guys, Jamison Williams and, and Mechie and uh, David Bell from Purdue and a lot of these other receivers? It's kind of tough to put him in there, but he's in there. He's a solid day two pick. And I think he's got a chance to be a starter uh, very early in his career. He's got some juice, just like Gallup did, uh, for sure. And his ability to impact the game down the field, I think, will definitely help him. Um, for me, I'm going to talk about a guy from a defense that we've already kind of highlighted. Dane, you talked about uh, that Penn State group. And, yeah, they've got some players in that front seven. So it was impressive to see Illinois have that level of success. So I wanted to go back and study Ar- uh, Arnold Abichetti. Uh, uh, who started his career at Temple, transferred over uh, this past year, this past offseason, 6'3", 256. And what I like most uh, about what he brings to the game, he's got the ability to be disruptive. You know, one of the more disruptive players on that, def- uh, on that defense, one of the top defenses in college football this year. When I project him, I, I do like him a little bit more, playing a little bit wider and playing with more of a two-way go against offensive linemen. Sometimes they'll play him a little bit snugged up as like a five technique. And I don't quite like him uh, in a phone booth. I, I want him to have a nice long track uh, with a two-way go. And so that's why I, when I look at the projection for him, I do like him more as like that first man off the bench. I think he can give you passable play as a three-down, every-down player uh, against the run. I think he's fine against the run. I don't think he's necessarily dominant against offensive linemen in that area. But uh, this is a guy that doesn't have that deep array of pass rush moves, but he has j- enough there that he keeps guys guessing. And I, I one of the things I wrote down from him is that he's not a, a guy that's going to be able to uh, counter mid-rush. I think he got held up at the top of the arc a little bit too often. But what he lock, lacks in the counter punch, he actually throws some nice change-ups. He, he does a nice job. And that's the thing. It's like if you line him up off wide, out wide, not only can he win high side, he's got an out, he does an outstanding job with those hand swipes of clearing the clearing the tackle, getting into the backfield, uh, and then turning the corner. But he'll also throw in a couple speed to power rushes. He's got some inside moves. So if you've got that ability to keep those tackles honest from depth, now I think that he's he's got that ability to be an impact rusher. I didn't think he was particularly great on different like stunts and twists or anything like that. I just wanted him to kind of rush. And one guy, a guy he kind of reminded me of was an early day three pick out of Oklahoma, and he's turning into a nice role player in the NFL, and that's Obania Okoronkwo uh, with the LA Rams when he was coming out of Alabama, or out of Oklahoma, rather. Uh, Okoronkwo was like 6'2", maybe just shade under that, uh, you know, in that 250 range. Evacati right now is, is listed by Penn State at 6'3", 255. So, uh, you know, I think right around the same kind of body type, we'll see what Evacati comes in at uh, during the All-Star game process. But I think when you look at his, the way that he wins, I think it's very, very similar. I think he could be an, an impact role player for a defensive front and a, a solid three-down player, but I like him more as a kind of an impact change of pace type. And he's a long player, uh, verified 34 and a quarter inch arms. Mm. And something else that I wrote in my in my notes I don't think I've seen a defensive lineman in this class make more plays away from the line of scrimmage uh, than Ebiketti. I mean, he, his relentless motors more than just getting to the quarterback. I mean, he's making he he's in the territory of making tackles that he has no business making uh, just because the motor consistently runs hot. 
uh, just, just something else that you'd like to see from a player like that. Like, do you like him more than Majay Sanders? I like him more huh. than I like him more than Majay. Uh, let me look at my. I'm looking at my rankings right now. I literally have Ebiketti one spot ahead of Sanders. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I've got him pretty close. Uh, Ebiketti, I think, yeah, just brings a little bit more uh, than Sanders. Uh, I don't think there's a huge gap there, but right, right now I've got him slightly ahead of him. And a much better run defender. A lot of his plays at Temple, I noted, where he's not afraid to kind of smash pulling guards down. He can really handy, handle contact and play off of blocks in combination with his range and playing space. Yep. He's checking a lot of boxes. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, he's a really interesting player, so I'm glad I had some time to be able to go back and study him. Well, guys, he's also uh, the personal protector on punt for Anna Temple, which I know you love that stuff. Well, look, he came in as a, as a wide receiver linebacker uh, recruit when he was in high school, so this is a guy that's used to playing in space. So having that special teams background does not shock me whatsoever. Well, guys, uh, we've got a few more players to hit on here as we welcome in Chris McPherson. It's time to go on the clock. On the clock. All right, let's keep this show rolling with On the Clock as we welcome in our friend Chris McPherson. C-Mac, uh, a little Halloween flavor this week as we uh, we have the the last week of October. Uh, introduce the people to, the, to our topic this week. Certainly. Uh, we'll have to notify Ben that it is Halloween. We're allowed to have a little fun here on the show. Uh, but for this Halloween-themed edition, we figured if you're a quarterback, who is the scariest player to face in college football with one caveat? We figure Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau would run away with this category. So we eliminate him from the category. So outside of Kayvon Thibodeau, who would be the scariest player for a quarterback to face? And I think, Ben, you get to go first. Uh, and here's the thing. Are you going to find a way for Ikem Aquanu to win this week as well? <laughs> Some are, some are projecting him inside the guard. Some are projecting him to three tech. So it's all how we're looking at the player. But I think he's going to stay on his side of the ball. And just if I could say, I like Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he's going to be the number one player off the board. But I don't think he's this, like, imposing, I'm going to come, you know, knock your head off type of guy. So I think he could have been used in this category. Uh, I think he's an excellent pass rusher, the best in the country. But he's not this like scary presence where you know you have to worry about your well-being at, out there in the pocket. So, oh, uh, we'll remember that for combine time. Uh, we'll see him in the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling. I'm telling. Not saying he's a finesse player either. But uh, I'm going to go over is- to uh, Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. We've talked about him a ton. C Mac. I think he's the best combination of size, length, strength, power, versatility. And when he gets there, he lets you know about it. I just think he's as relentless and powerful as there is in this class. He crushes quarterbacks on contact. He influences quarterbacks. He gets their eyes to drop. Even when he's not getting home, they feel his presence coming. They hurry the process. They get quarterbacks to panic. I just think Aiden Hutchinson is a step below Kayvon Thibodeau as far as being an efficient pass rusher. But I think he's as scary and as imposing as any defender in the country. Okay, Ben, we've talked about him in this segment before. Has there been a play in the last couple of weeks or so since we last talked about him on the clock that really stands out, that kind of highlights why he should be the winner for this category for you? No, I don't have one in my back pocket ready to go. But I think, you know, some of the imposing players that I think he can emulate at the next level, whether it's a maybe a J.J. Watt, dare I say, that style of player. And I think we've seen what he can do up and down defensive lines, most of mostly in Houston out, out there in Arizona, but Aiden Hutchinson, I just think is as freaky and scary a defensive player as there is across the nation. So Fran, now when we say this category, scary can mean a lot of different things. So I just want to let you guys know that as well. It doesn't just have to be like a six, oh, five. C-Mac, if I can just throw this in there, Aiden Hutchinson, he is ugly, all right? So he's got a scary <laughs> look to him out there. He's got a muggle and mother can love. So, you know, even just lining up out of the huddle, he kind of makes opposing offense to say, whoa, 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 what's up with this guy here? And I'm just kidding, Hutchinson. I haven't really seen your mug lately, but I'm assuming it's not all polished and ready for well, oh, so, so is he or not? I was going to say, this This could uh, be a tiebreaker here. It's, you know, it's going to be fun how many defensive linemen Ben can offend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gonna be funny weeks from you tell now. You to see me when I look at my notes and I'm like looking at a different like traits. It's like ugly. Like 
why the heck did we write ugly for Aiden Hutchinson? So, uh, Fran, you're number two here. What do you yeah. got here? Who so, is the scariest player? A number of players could have gone with. Um, and honestly, after uh, Thibodeau, I went back and forth in terms of like, oh, which player, if I had the first pick, who would I have gone with? And I would have gone with Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton. And the reason I say that is that he can impact the game in so many ways, C-Mac. I think when you watch him in this new defensive scheme, you've seen them really kind of unleash his skill set. And by the way, Kyle Hamilton get, did get hurt this past week. Uh, he will miss this upcoming game against North Carolina. We didn't touch on that earlier in the show. But uh, Kyle Hamilton, this is a guy that can impact the game in a number of different ways. And if you go back to the opener against Florida State, it is terrifying when you're a quarterback and you're saying, all right, well, Kyle Hamilton's on the left side. I'm going to stay away from that side of the field. He's lined up on the left hash. Let's just let's just stay away from that side. I'm going to throw a fade down the right sideline. As far away from, uh, from Kyle Hamilton as I, as I can get, he picks that pass off on the opposite side of the field because he's got that kind of range to him. At six foot four, over 210 pounds, to have that kind of length, to have th- that ability to impact the catch point from depth, from distance, uh, this guy's got the ability to line up in the post and make plays top down. He's got the ability to play in the post and make plays sideline to sideline. He's a devastating hitter over the middle of the field. So if you're a quarterback, you're terrified of laying hospital balls up for your receivers with him patrolling the middle of the field. And then also, he's a three-level blitzer. He can get you from depth. He'll line up off the edge. He'll come and line up over the A-gaps and rush the passer. So I think when you look at Kyle Hamilton, the different ways that he can impact the quarterback, that's a tough guy to game plan for. And I think that when you're looking at the way safeties are starting to get used in the NFL, the real freak show safeties in the NFL, he's got that kind of versatile skill set to really terrify opposing quarterbacks uh, in a lot of different ways. How would you compare him, France, to some of the uh, top-rated safety who have come out in recent years, the the Kyle Duggars, the Jeremy Chins? Hmm. I think he's a better player than both those guys for sure. And uh, I think when you look at the way that Kyle Hamilton can be used in the NFL, I think if you look at the way that like Derwin James is used in this current scheme uh, out there with uh, with Brandon Staley with the Chargers, uh, look, they play a ton of quarters, a lot of split safety. He can play, uh, you know, with with eyes on the quarterback, play top down. Not necessarily a man to man weapon against tight ends. I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing that Kyle Hamilton does, but if you can be an enforcer from the deep part of the field, then also come down, play close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's got outstanding route awareness, his ability to read plays as they happen, uh, and then just having that speed to be able to eat up all that grass and get to the football. Some of the rangiest plays we've seen from safety this year have come from Kyle Hamilton. So uh, I think that, you know, when you talk about that versatile skill set, I think that plays very well in today's NFL. Dane, are we saving the best for last year? Actually, I would love for you on The Athletic at some point to write a piece about Ben Fennell as a prospect and to see like everyone else, like jump on board to come up with these scouting reports of this unheralded Ben Fennell character. So, but, uh, terrifying clock here. Yeah. We we have to turn the, turn the comments section off for that article. Um, uh, So, all right. You know, I could go with Purdue's uh, George Karlaftis. He's, he's a pass rusher who can win in so many different ways. Could go with a corner uh, like Derek Stingley. Uh, but, you know, an opposing quarterback could just go to a different receiver, different corner. So that's not going to work. I'm going to think outside the box a little bit here. And I'm going to go with nose tackle Jordan Davis, 6'6", 360 pounds. It's the impact that he makes and how you attack the defense uh, as a whole. That, that's what makes him scary. He's dominant in the middle, basically takes away the inside run game. So that's forcing you to run outside or rely more on the pass. He is affecting the play calling. He's not that quick twitch pass rusher like an Aaron Donald who's just going to pile up the sack numbers with that gap quickness, but he does have that brute power where he's going to push the pocket. And I think that allows pass rushers on the edge pin their ears back, have a race to the quarterback because they know there's not going to be a ton of room for that quarterback to step up in the pocket. So, yes, that Georgia defense full of future pros. But the coaches say that Jordan Davis is the core. He is the straw that stirs the drink because he allows everybody else to play free. They're allowing only 6.6 points per game this year, by far the best in the country. The number two team in the uh, in the country in scoring defense, Michigan. They're allowing over 14 points a game. So, yes, I'm taking a nose tackle who not going to pile up the sack numbers. He's got uh, – Davis has three through seven games. But we're smarter on this show. You know, the impact that Davis makes help, helps everybody else in the defense. He forces the quarterback to change the way he plays. And so that's why Davis, he's going to be a top 15 pick. 
And to me, a nose tackle with that type of impact at 6'6", 360, that is a scary guy to face. Speak for yourself for being smarter. So you got me running the segment here. So maybe if one of you guys were deciding uh, the winner, it'd be hey, different Dane, his, his slow burn pass rush is so reminiscent of like Michael Myers. It's not fast, but he's just <laughs> coming go. one step at a time, hunting you down. So you can run away. You get away. But you always just know you're not stopping him. It's just one step at a time. He's coming at you. The, the only about. thing I the, the only thing I will say about Jordan Davis, you know, coming into the season, only five sacks uh, in 19 starts, but also according to PFF, I mean, only 10 quarterback hits or 10 quarterback hurries, only one hit on the quarterback in 19 starts. Um, so just the, the overall impact. I uh, would just like to see a little bit more. In turn, I know this year he's turned it up a little bit, but just uh, big picture wise, I uh, wish there was just a little bit more on the resume there. But I, I think Dave makes a great point. He allows everyone else to play. Sure. Okay. That's the big thing. He's freeing it up for everyone else. So I, I think for this exercise, if I'm the quarterback, I'm not worried about Jordan Davis. I'm going to be worried, I guess, about these other guys. I know we've talked about Ian Hutchinson on the show, and you know Ben makes a great case there. I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton. I, I think Fran makes a great case of being a little outside of the box here. I like I like the argument that's not just you know the you know the pass rusher who's going to tear you down. You know, it's someone when you're throwing all over the field, but also could be blitzing from a blind side and coming after. So the fact that he can just, you know, range and pick off pretty much any pass anywhere on the field, but that he can lay a hit in the middle of the field or get after the quarterback from that standpoint. Uh, we're going with Kyle Hamilton for this one. So Fran will get the W. Uh, I, I almost was going to give it to Ben for A, saying Aiden Hutchinson is ugly, and B, for coming up with the Mike, Michael Myers comp in terms of uh, Jordan Davis's pass rush. So I, I think the creativity... You know, Ben gets an A plus wins there for the argument here. I'll give it to Fran for this week. They get the gold star, Ben. Maybe like the golden pumpkin this week. I like it. Uh, well, C-Mac, uh, I've always said you're a smart guy. Thanks so much for joining us here once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, great stuff there from Dane, from Ben, and of course, from the wonderful Chris McPherson. Let's wrap the show up with our draft mailbag where we usually go to our Apple podcast page to you know make sure we go and get any of the comments or the questions or a mock draft. But there was a mock draft that uh, a listener had tagged me in on Twitter that I felt, you know, let's go and let's, let's bring this one to the show because it generated a lot of debate. And obviously it's a really impressive looking group of prospects. So I wanted to bring this to the forefront here. Johnny Uleka. Who on Twitter uh, listens to the show? Longtime listener, longtime subscriber. Uh, used the Rise and Draft Draft Simulator uh, and said, you know, he tagged me in the tweet and said, "Sign me up." Imagine coming away with this haul. So the Eagles in this mock draft scenario, three top ten picks. So, you know, you're going to be excited uh, about the haul when you've got three picks in the top ten. Second overall. Eagles come away with Oregon pass rusher Kayvon Thibodeau. Yes, that's a very, very exciting proposition. Uh, Arguably the best defensive player in the country. Arguably the number one prospect in the NFL draft. So getting him at number two, that would be an exciting proposition for any team, especially this Philadelphia Eagles football team. Eight overall. Eagles select offensive tackle Evan Neal from Alabama. And this is what generated a lot of debate uh, in my mentions. A lot of people going back and forth. Well, why would you take Evan Neal? You've got Lane Johnson and Andre Dillard and Jordan Mailata. Remember that Evan Neal does have some guard experience as well. And, and we know that the Eagles obviously put a lot of value, put a lot of stock into the offensive line. Evan Neal is a dominant force up front. So uh, whether he's a tackle, whether he's a guard, if you view that he can be that kind of cornerstone player that we talked about earlier in the show with Brandon Brown, uh, you know that, that might be a tough player to pass on. And I think when you're drafting that high in the draft, you're just trying to collect good players, right? You're just trying to get as many of those blue chip style prospects into your building as possible. And they follow up here with Ahmad Gardner, the corner from Cincinnati. This is a player that Dane Brugler is very, very high on. We talked about him a few weeks ago here on the show. Just his productivity, his effectiveness on the outside, what he's been able to do for that Bearcats program. Certainly one of the top corners in the country. Let's transition to the rest of the draft here. One pick in round two. That was Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd. Explosive athlete at the position. Still relatively new to playing line. Backer. He was a high school safety, but he is rangy. He's physical. Uh, he is a lot of fun. He can still misread at times. Uh, the the play recognition skills can, can still get a little bit better. That said, it has gotten better each and every year that I have studied him going back to 2019. So Devin Lloyd, really, really impressive linebacker there uh, at the top of the second round. Jaquan Brisker, the safety from Penn State. Uh, he was a guy that was going to enter last year's draft, was invited to the Senior Bowl, and decided to go back. And when I went back and studied Jaquan Brisker, I thought he was more of a developmental player last year. 
Watching him this year, just and this is just based purely off watching Penn State a handful of times here on TV, he is always around the football this year. And that was a question I had about him was, can those play recognition skills take that next step? And it just seems this way, just from watching on TV, he is always around the football, whether it's interceptions, pass breakups, fumble recoveries. He's always around the ball, and there's something to be said about that for defensive players, whether it's safeties, linebackers, defensive linemen, guys that are around the ball. Uh, that's something that typically will translate to the next level. So Jaquan Brisker uh, has really stood out to me this year. Alec Lindstrom in the fourth round, the center from Boston College. I love Alec, Alec Lindstrom. I think he is a everyday NFL starter, uh, maybe early on in his career. His older brother, Chris, uh, was a 12th overall selection for uh, from Boston College by the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know if he should have been the 12th pick, but at the end of the day, I, I think Alec Lindstrom might arguably be a better prospect. And so getting him in the fourth round, uh, I think obviously an outstanding value there. Three fifth-round picks. We'll buzz through them real quick. LSU linebacker Mike Jones, Oregon safety Verone McKinley, and Arkansas tackle Myron Cunningham. Myron Cunningham actually uh, is a guy, he's a huge offensive tackle, huge wingspan, uh, giant hands. He's played both tackle spots. So I think he'll get some comparisons to like a Matt Pryor in terms of a profile standpoint and was drafted a uh, similar kind of area. The draft, Matt Pryor was a late day three pick. Myron Cunningham coming off the board late in round five in this scenario. Verone McKinley from Oregon, I'm a big, big fan of. Uh, this is a guy that can play safety. He can play slot. He brings a cornerback background. He's always around the football as well, and I love that position versatility. I'm a big fan of Verone McKinley. Ben and I just talked about him late last week here on the show and said he might be one of the more underrated players in this draft. So I personally would see him as more than a fifth-round pick, but getting him here in the middle of round five, great value. And then Mike Jones, I have not done him. He's a transfer, I believe, from Clemson, uh, ending up there with LSU, so I'm excited to do him here in the future. And then one last pick, sixth-round running back C.J. Verdell. He is a fifth-year senior for the Oregon Ducks, more of a grinder downhill, kind of like what Royce Freeman was for them uh, before he left for the NFL, and C.J. Verdell kind of stepped in and filled his shoes there. Uh, but Verdell, definitely one of more of those downhill-type running backs. Good, good fit for a zone scheme. So uh, good stuff there from Johnny Uleka. A really, really interesting group. And again, if you guys have mock drafts out there, go on to our Apple Podcast page and just leave it. Whether you're a fan of the Eagles or you might be a fan of another team. You might be a fan of the Cleveland Browns or of the New York Giants or of the Dallas Cowboys. And if you listen to the show, jump on and leave us your mock draft for your team and we will break it down just the same here on the show. Or if you just got rankings or if you've got a question about a specific specific prospect, that is the bet. You Not only are we answering your question, but you're also doing us a solid by going on and leaving that question in the comment section. Thanks to everybody that continues to do that on a weekly basis. That said, let's keep there. Let's wrap this show up. Good stuff this week from obviously Brandon Brown at the top of the show, but Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, Chris McPherson, Johnny Uleka for sending us in that mock draft. Thanks to everybody. We'll see you later this week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.